I get made fun of a lot. Um, it's part of my job. Uh, I've been on staff at the Crossing for about 11, yeah, 11 years. Um, and you get forgetful in your old age, and so I'm old, and there's lots of old jokes that go around. So I sent a group me to our high school leaders today to tell them that I was going to speak tonight. And here's a spattering of some of their responses. Um, Brett Weiss, some of you guys know Brett, not sure if Brett's here. He told me that I needed to wear a vest because he thinks I look good in a vest. And then Taylor Wilson responded, and don't forget a hat, it takes 10 years off of you. Something about a receding hairline. Uh, Nick McHenry told me to not forget my dumb cane. Uh, Tom Bragg, who's old, you guys probably don't know Tom, but you should, said also be sure to introduce yourself as the head youth pastor because he knows, along with everybody else, that I hate the term youth pastor. And then Devin Feeney immediately chimes in with, it's ironic because you're not in your youth. <laughs> and then it, 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 it regressed into a bunch of embarrassing pictures of me. Um, of course, I would rather be 20 and skinny again, but that's not happening anytime soon. Um, but I, I really do appreciate being here. I, I love college students. I grew up in Columbia, went to Mizzou. My dad's office was 100 yards that way. Um, it was a professor for 40 years. So it's an honor to be here. Um, hopefully, uh, you guys can get something out of this. So like I said, I'd love to be 20 and skinny again. And, and obesity and weight is a big issue in our culture. So th there's a lot of people that have gone through what's called lap band surgery. Some of you guys might know what that is, some of you might not. Um, but lap band surgery is for people who are so overweight that their health is in jeopardy. Uh, with people that are this obese, uh, generally it's a combination of factors. Uh, genetics and predisposition almost always plays a role, and so there's a big sense in which they're not to blame for it. There's another sense in which eating habits and exercise and other lifestyle choices have led to a point in their life where they're so obese that they have a few choices. They can make drastic changes in their life or um, to help along that process, they can have this thing called lap band surgery that in a lot of ways can save their life. And so lap band surgery is simply, just to be really rough about it, it they put like a giant band, almost like a rubber band around the stomach that constricts it, tricks their body into thinking they're not hungry, uh, restricts the types of food that they can eat. The only problem with lap band surgery is that it, it often fails. Not always, but often. And, and so if you go on, there's message boards and support groups for people that have either not lost weight on lap band surgery or that they've lost uh, uh, some or a decent amount of weight only to put it all back on. And, and I was reading on a message board from one of uh, these people and she pointed out that yeah, I had lap band surgery. It, but I've gained the weight back, and here's why. And she said, because my, my habits haven't changed. I, I, I went from exercising four days a week and being excited about the surgery to exercising zero days a week. I, I went from watching what I eat to eating all the things that I used to, even though it was harmful to my health and to my surgery. And so now I put it all back on. Here's the point, um, and, and this is the thread and the commonality with each one of us is that we all want the blessings. We all want to be saved. These people that struggle with lap band surgery, they want to be saved. They want the surgery, but they don't want to be told what to do. And once again, it's not everybody. I'm not saying everybody 
in this situation, but there are people in these message boards that I was reading, and that's what they're saying. I wanted the surgery, I wanted a quick fix, but I don't want you to tell, tell me how to live my life. I just want to lose the weight, I want to be saved the easy way. And I think this leaks, that idea leaks into our spiritual lives, because if you think about it, how often do you talk, how often do we talk about salvation versus how much do we talk about righteousness? How much do you talk about being saved versus how much do we and you talk about being discipled? You see, I think in a lot of ways, just like people that struggle with lap band surgery and putting the weight back on, that what we really want is we want salvation, but we don't want a king. We want Jesus to be our savior, but we don't want him to be our king because kings have rules for you. They tell you what to do. They tell you how to live. They have authority in your life. Nobody wants that. But just save me and then get out of the way and let me live how I want. John 5, if you were actually at the crossing uh, this weekend, um, this was the passage that Keith preached on. But John 5 says this, verses 6 and 13. It says, when Jesus saw him, there was this guy um, that needed to be healed. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved? He heals him. Guy goes off about his life. And then in verse 13, when people are questioning him, you find out this. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. God, heal me. Jesus, heal me. But I'm not going to really figure out who you are or what I'm supposed to do now that I can walk again. I just, I just want to be healed. I just want to be saved. And even further, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So not only did this guy get healed, get saved in a sense, and then not care enough to try to figure out who the guy was, this Jesus figure, and what he demanded from his life now that he had saved his life, he actually throws Jesus under the bus. Once again, I think most of us, if you're honest, if you're like me, you want a savior. You want Jesus as your savior, but you don't want Jesus as your king. But here's the thing, you can't divide those two roles. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's King and Savior. You can't separate them. I can't want the benefits of being tan all year and go to a tanning bed without the risk of skin cancer. I can't be skinny and in wonderful shape without going through exercise and diet. I can't be wise without disciplining myself and reading and learning. You can't divide those things and you can't divide Jesus' salvation for you with his kingship of your life. Romans 10.9 says it this way. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Lord, Master, King, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can't divide these two. If you want Jesus as your Savior, you have to take him as your King. And if you don't want Jesus as your King, then he can't be your Savior. So that's the big problem that we're going to face tonight, that each of us deep down in our soul, in our core, what we want is we want Jesus as a savior, but not as a king. And so here's where we're going to go from here, just so you know, 
Uh, there's two sneaky ways that I think this shows itself in our lives. And then there's two big reasons with some subsets of why we don't want a king. And then we'll end with why we actually need and really just don't realize that we really want Jesus to be our king. Why the good news of the gospel isn't just about Jesus being savior, but it's also about him being king of our lives as well. Here's the two sneaky ways that I think this rears its head in our lives. Two words, worry and bitterness. Worry is not believing that God will get it right. I worry because I'm not totally sure. I don't believe that God is going to get it right. And bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Worry and anxiety is on the rise in our culture. It's on, in the, it's on the rise, particularly in young cultures, high school students, college students. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and there's a lot of reasons for that that aren't your fault. Your parents, to a large degree, I don't know them, but I'm assuming things. Your teachers, your culture, there have been a lot of things. We have promised a lot to this generation. We have overscheduled you. We have emphasized the wrong things. We've given extrinsic motivations instead of intrinsic motivations. And then you've gotten to college, and life's hard. And life's disappointing. And life doesn't turn out exactly like you want. And so, once again, you struggle with anxiety more than any generation previous to you, and yet a lot of the reason is because we've set you up so poorly for this. And so I'm not here to tell you the the end-all, easy answer to anxiety. There is a multitude of answers, and they've got to all be fit together. So I'm not here to say it's simple. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, and you're thinking, yeah, 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 Justin, I get it, but I wish I didn't, I'm totally with you. I understand that. But I think this is one part of the answer. It's not the whole answer, but it's part of it. That that's what anxiety and worry is at its core. Is that it's you and me worrying, believing that God isn't going to get it right. Bitterness. We live in a culture that that bitterness and anger and frustration and voicing those things in social media and everywhere else is a very common thing. And there's some good about that, but there's some bad about it as well. Because as Christians, when we're bitter, what we're saying with our hearts is that we think God got it wrong. We don't want God to be the king of our lives. We just want him to be our savior. And two of the ways that we do that is we worry and we're bitter. Here's two of the big reasons that I think we don't like Jesus as king. The first is this. We don't trust authority. You see, we've seen people abuse authority. We've seen presidents. We've seen administrators. We've seen professors. We've seen politicians. We've seen parents, for many of you abuse authority and power because either they are selfish with it or they're just incompetent. So once again, in a sense, we've been trained to not trust authority. Some authorities are are overtly selfish, so the the phrase absolute power corrupts absolutely. You don't need to look very far to see examples of that. You can look at Washington. You can look at, my goodness, Donald Trump. Some of the ridiculous things he says. If you're supporting him, I'm sorry to make this political, but Donald Trump says some of the dumbest stuff I've ever seen in my life. 
and he's abused power and authority. And I'm not making Donald Trump the, the devil. There's plenty of other people that have done it too. He just happens to do it on a regular basis in public all the time. But we assume that they're selfish. We assume that they, but we're not sure that they have our best interests at heart. We've seen too many examples of them having ulterior motives so that they can get more money or more power. We've had other authority figures that are just incompetent. I don't mean wholly incompetent, incompetent. some of them are. A, a, a lot of them just make mistakes. You, you've been raised by flawed parents. Some of you have fantastic parents, some of you have terrible parents, some of you didn't have parents, and some of you only had one. But I don't care which one of those there is, all of them made mistakes. All of them were incompetent to some degree or another. We've seen police officers on videos countlessly in the last months and years being incompetent at their jobs. We've seen professors and politicians do the same thing. We've had countless examples for this. And so we have this natural bent towards not trusting authority. That's one reason why I think we have difficulty with Jesus as a king. The second one is this. We think we'd be better at the job. Take the Missouri football coaching thing, or take the last Missouri football season. I've been a Missouri football fan for, I've been going to games for 30 years. Um, I tried to count one time how many. It was kind of dumb how many, that I've, how many hours I've spent watching Missouri football. But I love it. And yet you go to message boards and you talk to people and everybody's got an opinion of how to fix Missouri's offense. Everybody's got an opinion of how to do that. Everybody had an opinion of what coach should or should not have been hired. People get upset about vaccines and flu shots. And there's mom blogs and everything else that tells you that vaccines and flu shots are all bad. And I'm not saying that they're all good. But what I am saying is it's always really funny because everybody always has a better idea. If you were in charge, all of this would be a lot simpler. Don't trust the experts whose whole life and career depend on it. You know better because you read a few blogs. I see this at the crossing. I probably, I don't see it at Veritas, but my guess is it's there, is that you sit here in these rows and you sit at pews at the crossing or church you go to and you start thinking, well, if I was in charge, if I was a pastor, and you start nitpicking of all the things that you would change because deep down in your heart what you're saying is, I would be better at this. How many times has that sentence mentally gone through your head, well, if I was in charge, dot, 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 whether it's a small or a big So we have a hard time with Jesus as king because we've trained ourselves to thinking that we're better at being an authority or at being a ruler or at being a pastor or at being a football coach or about being a teacher than the people that are, have those authority and rulership in our lives. And this is why we sin, right? Like, there's, there's the sins that you're kind of ignorant of, like, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that and I feel bad about it now. And there's the sins that you know full well what you're supposed to do and not do and you do it or don't do it anyway. And that's the reason that we do that, right? I know the Bible tells me not to lust or to be selfish. But I do it anyway because in my heart, what I believe is that I know better than God. This is going to make me happy. I know he said not to, but he doesn't really understand the situation. We've trained ourselves to think that we're better at the job than other people. God, I know that you say I'm supposed to be sexually pure, but you don't understand how fun making out is. God, I know that you said don't lie or cheat, 
but you, you don't know what will happen if I don't get a B in this class. And so I have to copy homework, and I have to cheat on this test, and I have to take Adderall. God, I know you said to serve and love other people, but you don't know what it's like. You don't know how people don't listen to me and how people don't care about me and don't look out for my interests, and so I've got to make sure I get my way. God, I know that you say that you're the king and ruler of the universe, but there's so many ways that I could do it better than you. When, is, when, when Jesus arrived in Israel, The Israelites had a very big misunderstanding of what King Jesus was going to be like. They thought their understanding of King Jesus is that he was going to come in and he was going to save his people and he was going to run off the Romans and he was going to sit on a throne and make everything wonderful again right now. And people's misunderstanding and misconception of what King Jesus was going to be like when he came 2,000 years ago on December 25th, it skewed their ability. It prevented them from being able to believe in the King Jesus that actually was. If we think King Jesus is incompetent, if we think King Jesus doesn't have our best interests at heart, if we think we could do his job better than him, then we're going to miss out on this in the same way that they did. So let me take the two big reasons that we, dis, that, that, that we have a problem with King Jesus. One, that we distrust authority, and two, that we think we'd be better at it than him. And, and let me have some, some, some little notes here as I talk. We distrust authority because somehow, because other people have abused it, we think that King Jesus is out to get us. Because people always use their power to manipulate things and other people so that they can get richer and get more powerful. But that's not King Jesus. We know this from Advent. We know this from the Christmas story that the God of the universe came to earth as a little baby at a real time in history and in a real place in geography. You see, King Jesus didn't ride in on a big fancy chariot. And he wasn't forcing people to bow down to his throne. No, he came as a baby in a manger with literal horse crap feet or inches from his little helpless body because he can't take care of himself. King Jesus doesn't take things from you and demand that you slave away at his throne for him. Instead, he grabs a towel and a bucket of water and he washes your calloused, dirty, smelly feet. King Jesus' crown isn't made of jewels stolen from people he's conquered. No, his is made of thorns for the people that he's saving. This isn't a normal king. This isn't a normal authority. This isn't a king that should be feared and doubted and looked at with cynicism. This is a king that should be adored and followed. This is a different type of king than you and I have ever seen before. The second objection, the second reason we have a hard time with King Jesus is that we think we'd be better at his job than him. Really? I, I can't tell blue from black. The last three times I've tried to put on a black pair of socks to wear black shoes, I realized hours later that they're actually blue socks. You guys can't wake up for 10 a.m. classes sometime because that's just too early. If it wasn't finals it, a week from now and I asked you when your next exam was, you probably wouldn't know. 
and yet we think we'd be better at this than God? I used to be, past tense, decent at basketball. It's regressed quickly. My five-year-old thinks he's really good at basketball. It's passed on to him, apparently. So I'll bring him to the gym sometimes and play pickup games, and he'll sit over there with my other son. Uh, I've got two, a six-year-old now and a soon-to-be three-year-old here in a few weeks. And they'll sit there, and they'll watch little cartoons and eat a donut, and mom gets to sleep in, and I'm a good husband and a dad for all of it, and I get bonus points. Um, And then sometimes, Brooks will walk up and go, Daddy, next time you should... And I just, I, 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 I try to be gracious, and I'm kind, and I'm a good dad, but deep down, I just want to say, child, go back to your corner and watch your cartoon. <laughs> like, don't, don't lecture me on what I should do next time on that fast break, please. Somehow Brooks thinks that he's better at this than me, which someday he will be, I'm confident, but it's not that day yet, and I'm going to hold on as long as I can. The same thing happens in the book of Job. In the book of Job, there's all kinds of, there's suffering, all this stuff, and then there's these people that get together, and they're debating what God's like, and they're debating how he should do things, and, and they're saying, God, God, we want you to come down to this tribunal. We want to have a judge. We want to ask you questions, because we're kind of thinking we might be able to do this better than you. And, 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 and God says, child, go back in the corner and watch your cartoons. He says this in Job 38. Who is this that darkens my counsel? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning and shown the dawn its place? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? And, and, and God just keeps doing this. And he's just saying, child, go, go back to your corner. You can't do this better than me. This isn't the normal way that God operates. He, he doesn't always, in fact, doesn't often open up a can on his hearers and on his people. But every once in a while he does. And so when you and I sin because we think this is going to make us happier than what God said. We need to remember, child, go back to your corner and watch your cartoon. Really? You think you can do this better than me? The Ten Commandments. Prologue to drive this point home. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, it'll be up here behind me. But this is very famous. You have the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows them. Everybody forgets the verse right in front of it. Here's what it says. He says, I am the Lord your God who, you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I'm the God who saved you. I'm your savior. You were enslaved. You were broken. You were destitute. You had no shot without me, and I saved you. And God's not holding it over your head. 
But he's reminding me, this is who I am, and this is what I've done, and this is how much I love you. And then he gives all these commandments that, that you could recite a few of them. You know, I could get maybe eight right now, and I went to seminary. So, um, but there's the Ten Commandments that are, in theory, famous. And then at the end, he says this, You shall walk in all the ways that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. God didn't give rules just to test us. God didn't give rules to be a fun hater. God gives us rules because he loves us, because he designed the world, he knows how it works, and he wants you to be happy and fulfilled. And yet we look at him and we think, ah, you might be incompetent. Ah, you may not have my best interests at heart. I might be able to do this job better than you. And God's going, no, I'm not mad, but I'm, I'm pleading with you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be successful. I want you to be fruitful. I want your life to be full of fulfillment. But to do that, I have to be your king. I can't just be your savior. Are, are, are you longing for a savior or are you longing for a king? Are you longing for a get-out-of-jail-free card that allows you to live your life how you want? Or are you longing for a king that will direct and show you how to live? Think of it this way. Are you longing to get married or be married? It's an odd question. When you ask people if they're longing to get married, everybody's like, oh yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. We're, we're going to have sex and it's going to be fun. And, 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 and we get to like spend our whole lives together and I get to wake up next to him. And I get to wake up next to her and blah, blah, blah. And that's all great and dandy. But being married is a lot different from getting married. How many of you guys are married? The old people in the back. But that's the reality. And I looked at Kyle, and Kyle's just doing this as I was talking. Because there's a difference. We all want to get married, but being married's hard. Having a savior sounds easy, but serving a king is hard. But you can't have one without the other. If you get married, but you don't work hard at your marriage, you get a divorce. And if you say you love your Savior, but you don't want a king, you don't want his rule in your life, then you're going to fall away. You can't have one without the other. Do you want a Savior, or do you also want a king? Because Jesus demands, and he wants, and you need him to be both in your life. And some of you guys are scared. Some of you are control freaks. Some of you, I was reading like, like the psychological definition of um, having a fear of lack of control. And it's, it's amusing because it says the crux of the issue is that you want control in a world that you can't control. And that's true. But there is somebody who does control it and you can trust in him and you can walk with him and he can be your king. Some of you struggle with anxiety and you're thinking, I, you don't know how hard this is. And you're right, I don't. Some of you are scared to relinquish control because you're worried that God doesn't have your best interests at heart. Here's a final story that hopefully will, will stick. I wish it was mine. It's not. Um, I, I thought about just lying, but then I figured that's bad. Um, but it's, it, it's a story from Dave Cover, who's one of the senior pastors at the Crossway. 
and, and uh, it involves his daughter, Christine, who's now like 26, but she was one of my high school students when I was on staff. Um, back to the old things. Um, in the story, she was seven. And they were in Daytona Beach or Destin, Florida. I can't remember which one, but one of those kind of places. And you know, like, you've got this road, this giant four-lane road in between, like, a row of beach houses and the actual beach. And so you've got to find a way to cross it. So you can, like, be patient and go to an intersection or, like, one of the tunnels. Or you can do, like, everybody does at Mizzou and just makes a mad dash for it across four lanes of screaming traffic. And so Dave, in all of his wisdom, figured with a seven-year-old daughter, that's probably a good idea. So he grabs Christine's hand and he says, honey, no matter what you do, don't let go of my hand. And they wait for their moment, and they rush across two lanes of traffic, and they get to like a four-foot-wide median in the middle of this raging road. And they've got cars whizzing by at 40 or 50 miles per hour behind them, cars whizzing by at 40 or 50 miles ahead of them, and they can't find like that opening that they need to get across the last two lanes. And Christine's holding on to Dave's hand firmly because that's what he told her to do, but eventually Dave can feel Christine's hand starting to tremble. And she looks up and she said, Daddy, I'm scared. She's scared of the road. She's scared of the cars. She's scared of what might happen. And Dave looked at her and he said, Honey, don't be scared of the road. The only thing you need to be scared of is letting go of my hand. And we have a king that not only is your savior, not only did he die for you, but he needs and wants to be your king. But to be your king, he needs your hand. And, and King Jesus sits there and he says, take my hand and I promise, I know you're scared. I know life's hard. I know that your word is and everything isn't going to turn out exactly like you want. But the only thing you really have to fear right now is letting go of my hand. Because as your king, I have to lead the way. I have to show you what to do. I have to show you how to live. I need to show you what's wrong in your life. But you've got to hold on to my hand. Tim Keller says that the only person that dares interrupt a king and wake him up from his sleep at three in the morning is his daughter. And that we have that kind of access to our king, Jesus. That you can wake him up at three in the morning because he wants to hold your hand. He wants to lead you. Let's pray. God, I pray. I pray that we wouldn't let go of your hand. I pray that we would let go of the foolish ideas that we'd be better at your job than you are. That you really don't know what you're doing. That you don't have our best interest at heart. I pray that you would crack open the hardness of our hearts, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, that you aren't just our Savior, but that you're the King that we need. You're the King that we really long for. We ask these things in your Son's name, as Savior and as King. Amen.